the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Philanthropy SA. This is a podcast about and for the philanthropic community in San Antonio and South Texas. We introduce organizations and people who are making an impact in the community. Beneficent Financial is proud to sponsor this podcast, and it is our hope that you enjoy this conversation about the impact we can have. The goal is to edify and inspire. Now, please join our host, Dan Redman. Thanks for joining us today on Philanthropy SA. I'm honored to be joined today by Harvey Najum. He is nothing short of philanthropic royalty in San Antonio, and we're very glad to have you here, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. So we're going to get into all the great stuff that your foundation does and your donor advice fund does and all that. But before we get to that, I want to hear a little bit about you as a person. I mean, I know, you know, you kind of found your way to San Antonio. You've got a very interesting background. What brought you to San Antonio? Well, originally, uh, what brought me here was when I graduated from college, I was an ROTC graduate. And I was commissioned a second lieutenant. That was during the Vietnam War. But I was fortunate enough to go through officer basic here at Fort Sam Houston at Brook Army Medical Center. And so I went through officer basic here. Uh, I was able to be stationed at, at Brook Army Medical Center as a data processing officer. And so I worked on a couple of, of, uh, of applications while I was in the Army One was a civilian and military personnel system, and the second was a hospital information system. During that time, I worked with closely with IBM. So IBM hired me when I got out of the Army in 67, and I went to work for IBM here in San Antonio as a systems engineer. Very good. Well, you know, uh, I also came to San Antonio courtesy of the Army. Um, and when I got out of the Army, my wife said, um, you know, I want to live someplace warm. And I said, I know a place. And she spent the last 30 years telling me I didn't mean this warm. But I fell in love with the city, so it's we're, we're stuck now. Um, wanted to uh, find out also about you, Harvey. Why, why did you – what got you involved in philanthropy? What made the shift from well, IBM be- to Well, believe it or not, it started uh, uh, in the Army. Uh, I was a second lieutenant making $240 a month, <laughs> and uh, the colonel that I reported into at uh, headquarters Brook Army Medical Center convinced me in a very short conversation to contribute to United Way, and that that kind of got me started. Very good. No, I remember those, and then uh, I don't know if that – morphed into the combined federal campaign, but, you know, that whole thing, I mean, you know. the Well, and as I fast forward the clock, uh, some, uh, I went in the Army in 1965, and you fast forward that clock to 2014, which is 40, 49 years. Here I was campaign chair 
for United Way in San Antonio and raised $55 million. That is incredible. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, folks. So what is it that inspires this deep commitment to service? I mean, plenty of people, you know. Well, in 2004, I went through a tough time in my life. Um, and I, being a Christian, I prayed to God, you get me through this. And I said, if you get me through this period in my life, I'll be your servant on earth and I'll help you take care of children. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that has held true to this day. Children are the number one area that you like funding, correct? Absolutely. It's absolutely number one. Very good. So tell us a little more about the Charitable Foundation, what you all do. Well, I started it in uh, late December 2006. I put $75 million in it, and subsequently I added another $50 million. And uh, we had our first board meeting in uh, June of 2007, where we gave out $1,526,328. And since that meeting, the foundation and I together have given out over $193 million in Bear County and the counties that touch Bear County. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, so when you're looking at that kind of impact, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? I know, you know, you and I have had a, a conversation before we started recording where you look at it as an investment rather than a donation. I, I really do. I I want to make sure that, um, for example, that the investment fits one of the 17 categories that we fund. Secondly, I want to make sure that the CEO of the organization and the board of directors has the capabilities and the knowledge to continue to grow the organization and serve more children. And then thirdly, what's the impact? And the impact I like to see if I give you a dollar, show me it turns into $10. Very good. And of course, you know, there's a lot of emphasis in the philanthropic world today on stuff that's known as upstream philanthropy. Um, and so tackling problems early in stages. And, of course, when you're dealing with children, you're absolutely doing that. So if you can help a child, you know, avoid um, a situation where they go into adulthood in need or if they're in, you know, a situation where they're more likely to be incarcerated or that kind of thing, that's where you're getting – returns far greater than that 10 to 1 uh, figure that, that you mentioned. Um, is that something that you're seeing? Is that kind of what inspired your focus on children? Or was it this well, prayer I, and agreement with God that just yeah, said that? I just have always felt that children are the future of, this, of the city, the state, and the country. And uh, education is the number one category that we fund and I, we fund education because education is the most powerful weapon that you can use to change your purpose in life, your status in life, and to change the world. Indeed. No, education has lifted a lot of people out of some difficult situations. Um, and so in speaking of education, I want to go back to your story a little bit because I know your education wasn't like, you know, you got a full-ride scholarship to someplace and just stayed there four years and then 
did your time in the Army. So tell us a little bit about your education and well, how you came uh, to that. You know, when I was growing up, I was 14, the oldest of four boys. My parents set us around the kitchen table and said that uh, she, my mother was, said that she and my father had decided what us four boys would do when we graduated from high school. And she says, Harvey, you're the oldest. You'll be a doctor. Ralph, you'll be an engineer. Harry, a lawyer. And Richard run the family business. So I sat there for a minute. She said, any questions? I said, yes. <laughs> I'd like to trade with one of the other three. Uh, she said, no. <laughs> so I enrolled at Washington University, St. Louis, Missouri, pre-med student. Made the dean's list first two years. Um, but late second semester of my sophomore year, I was in a zoology lab, and they had euthanized some small feral pigs. And the... Uh, the lab experiment was to dissect the feral pig and identify the organs. So when one of the other students cut underneath on the belly to cut cut it open and, and blood gushed out into the tray, I passed out and fell on the floor. <laughs> and so the instructor gave me some smelling salts and I hit my head and he just, uh, he looked at me and he said, Harvey, your uh, medical career is over. And uh, I said, can I get a note for my mother? <laughs> and then That's uh, a true story. No, that's interesting. But, uh, I didn't know. Washington University was expensive and I was kind of paying my own way and, and working part time. So I transferred to Wichita University, which now is Wichita State University. I was in ROTC, and I continued that. Yep. And I graduated in 64 with a bachelor's degree in math. And then because the Vietnam War was on, I enrolled in grad school like the next day and uh, was working for Boeing as an industrial engineer at the time in Wichita. And uh, I had to drop a class, and I lost my deferment, went on active duty in March of 65. There you go. Well, yeah, the Wichita State folks, for those not familiar, are the Shockers. Yes. They, uh, I grew up in uh, Kansas myself, so I uh, know a few folks that have gone to Wichita State over the years. Um, and it's just a, a great area of town. And Washington University, too, it's uh, – by the way, the costs there now are – you can't put yourself through Washington University anymore unless you're already a doctor. Yeah. So, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but when we're looking at, you know, your history and your background and the importance of education and all of that kind of thing, um, what kind of, you know, how does that impact not just you but what you see the foundation doing down the road? And what – let me ask you this way. What's the difference between the type of projects you fund today and maybe projects that you funded 10 years ago? And I'm sure some of them are the same. But. Yeah. Well, I, I think a good example that I can give you is that the company that I founded, Sirius, which had their office right across here, uh, we were in the Spectrum building from 1997 until 2012. And uh, in 2012, we moved to the airport center. Uh, I had given up the presidency and the CEO's job, but I was still chairman of the board. So I had an office at the airport center. So, But I kept my foundation office uh, 
at the Spectrum building. So and, and about two years after we moved over there, uh, Oracle comes in and, our, and hires 200 young college graduates making 50 to 60K a year, pumping 10 to $12 million into the San Antonio economy. So they were on the ninth and 10th floors. My foundation office was on the eighth floor. And so when I saw them on the elevator, say, hi, I'm Harvey Najem. What's your name? Where are you from? Well, I only met a handful of kids from San Antonio. And then about six months later, an elderly lady with an Oracle badge on gets on the elevator with me, and I introduced myself, and I said, what do you do? She said, I'm the HR manager. I said, oh, I've been wanting to talk to you for six months. <laughs> and I said, I have one question for you. She said, what's that? I said, what percentage of the kids that Oracle hired came from San Antonio and Bear County? She said, less than 10%. Mm. So that made me realize that you can't do economic development if you don't and bring companies here when we don't have enough college graduates that they can hire. So I decided to do a pathway scholarship. And um, it took me about a year, year and a half to put it together. But I first went to the Alamo colleges and I said, I'd like to pay for tuition for 200 low-income students, first in their family to go to college, and I'll pay for tuition, fees, and books. And so I gave my million bucks, 50 a year for four years. Uh, then I went to uh, UTSA, Texas A&M San Antonio, and the Health Science Center. And I said, look, your tuition is 9,500 to 10 grand a year. The student will give you five. I'll give you 2,500 per student, and then I want you to use institutional funds to give the rest so that student, when they graduate, will owe $10,000. After six months, they all three agreed. Very good. And so that Pathway Scholarship has turned into the Alamo Promise, the UTSA and Texas A&M Bold Promise, and, and so forth. Because, again, I just think education is so powerful. San Antonio, while we're growing by leaps and bounds, there's some other numbers that were the highest in that aren't good numbers. Yes, and that's... Number one is the number of people that live under the poverty level. And so I'm also working on a program... To that how we secure San Antonio, and I believe I sent you the triangle that I put together. You see, at the base of that triangle is education. If you have a four-year college education, you can get a job. If you have education job, you have housing. If you have education job and housing, you're food secure. Yep. The problem we have today, it's reversed. No, too often that's the case. Um, Carl Caton from the Marriage Initiative was on the podcast and talked about the importance of those sequencing uh, is the way that he refers to it. And that if that sequence gets out of whack, um, then the odds of ending up impoverished go up dramatically um, to that point. And so what would you say 
percentage-wise or like, you know, that, that vision for the notion of, hey, we need to get people in San Antonio and Bear County who can qualify for these great jobs. How much of your work is kind of like you're coming up with an idea like that and want to see it implemented versus people who come to you and say, hey, Harvey, I've got this great idea. I want you to help. Well, it's really both, okay? Um, I do a lot of thinking about, you know, what we need to be doing. And of the 17 categories uh, that we fund, you know, what is interesting that when I started the foundation, um, there were a couple categories on here that I had not planned to fund. And uh, one of those categories is homelessness. Mm -hmm. I was on the board of Haven for Hope for five and a half years. I'm the second largest donor to Bill Greehy. Another is individuals that have developmental disabilities. And I'm one of the top donors to Morgan's Wonderland and everything that Gordon Hartman has done there. And I guess I probably was not aware uh, in detail of what happens to children that are abused and neglected. And so since 2017, I have been a fierce proponent of trying to improve community-based care in San Antonio. Yeah, no, that's, you know, you you talk about upstream and and we talk about trying to, you know, address issues before people get, you know, further downstream where they become more expensive to fix. But if people who suffer that type of issue, and I've, you know, been involved with organizations that, that serve folks that are in that position, and it's, you know, the, the impact can be generational, literally. Well, let me, let me give you some numbers. Uh, if you take Tarrant County, 1.6, you take Travis County, I think it's 2.5, and then you take uh, Houston, Fort Worth, and Dallas, the highest, I think, is 3.4, 3.6. Bear County is 5.6. Mm. Number of children being removed from their homes because of abuse or neglect, the highest in the state. Gotcha. That's another one of those numbers we don't want to be number no, one. No, yeah, that, that's you want to decrease that number. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you this, and this is just, you know, we'll, we'll uh, take a look at this because, you know, in many organizations that I've been a part of in terms of helping them, whether it's just, you know, on the side or as a member of a board or something like that, your name gets pulled out all the time. So what is it like to have people ask you for money every day? Well, it's a, it's a two-edged sword. Um, on one hand, it's flattering. But on the other hand, it's frustrating. I have something on my desk that's framed, and it says to give away money is in any man's power. But to decide to who to give it and how large and when, and for what purpose and how, is neither in every man's power, nor is it an easy matter. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. That makes total sense. And so, um, you know, the population of San Antonio at nights and on the weekends is 1.6 million. From Monday morning at 8 o'clock, Till Friday at 5 o'clock, the population is 2.1 million. 
So that's why I decided to fund the counties that touch Bear County, because a lot of people live there that come to San Antonio. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to take a pause and hear from our sponsor, and then we're going to continue our conversation with Harvey. Many of you out there care deeply about wanting to make an impact on the world around you. You want to help take care of the people and organizations that are important to you. We understand that because we feel the same way. Beneficent Financial wants to help you. Our mission is to help people like you with professional, individualized financial advice achieve their objectives. Whether your financial legacy will stay within your family or benefit the community at large, we are able to help. Call Beneficent Financial today at 210 210- 999-5511. In addition to traditional wealth management, we offer philanthropic services such as direct donations of required minimum distributions, donor advice funds, and foundations. Call 210-999-5511 or go online to beneficentfinancial.net. Let us help you do well so you can do good. Securities offered through Momentum Independent Network, member SIPC slash FINRA. Welcome back to Philanthropy SA. I'm your host, Dan Redman, and, and just pleased as punch to be joined by Harvey Najum today, um, who, if you don't know who Harvey Najum is, just drive around town and look for buildings. His name's on a lot of them. So we're very blessed to have him here. Um, and we've been talking about, you know, a number of things about in terms of how you got into what you're doing and all of that. And now I want to kind of pivot a little bit and get into some of the weeds a little bit because I know some of the people who are listening to this podcast are going to be folks who like are development people and that type of thing and are going to say, hey, you know, what what is Harvey looking for? I need to make sure I know and, and that type of thing. Um, so we talked about the measurable impact and that's an important thing for you. But you have a specific kind of process that people go through if they're going to like uh, ask for a grant, right? I mean, you've got a calendar and you've got a team and, you know, this isn't just you with your checkbook sitting there going, okay, let's do this. No, no, my, we, yeah, what we do is we have three grant cycles a year. Uh, the first one is in April, the second in July, and the third in October. And uh, we average, uh, like the last board meeting we had back in October, we had 75 applicants totaling over $4 million. Um, And we've given money out to uh, approximately 280 different organizations in Bear County and the counties that touch Bear County. Very good. They, They go online. There's an application online. They fill it out. Uh, We ask questions like, um, how many children will this grant that you're requesting from us serve? So let's say that it'll serve uh, 100, and they're asking us for uh, $50,000, and that's half of what they need. So then we know that we're going to be serving 50 kids. We ask them, uh, what is the age of those children? What city council district are they in? Uh, what's the ethnicity, uh, et cetera? Uh, 
So, because we can then keep statistics each year on what we've done. Sure. No, that's great. And, and in terms of that process, so you have a team of people that help you. Yes, in, I do. In terms of that. And these are like folks that are, I'm sure, like subject matter experts and understand kind of the, the ins and outs of, of some of these organizations. And then is it a situation where um, once you've funded something, do you like to like continue to fund it you know, more or less, or is it something where you want to build an organization up and have it be more self-sustaining or that type of thing? It's more the primer, primary. It's uh, What we do is we also do site visits. We do site visits on every organization that we've never funded before, before the board meeting. Secondly, about every two to three years, we'll do another site visit. Uh, and a lot of these organizations, uh, you know, People change in the organization. CEOs move on. Development people move on, et cetera. Uh, their facilities change and so forth. So, uh, no, we, we're very uh, – in, we, we inspect what we do. Understood. Understood. And let me ask you this. What would you tell a younger version of yourself? If you were going back in time as you were first – getting the foundation going and, you know, in earnest. And you obviously have been involved philanthropically before then. But obviously, you know, and, and a number of our audience is going to be like, well, I do what I can, but I don't have those kind of resources. Well, you know, my, my advice is go to work for a good company, you know, build up your career and your earnings potential. And then when you hit a home run like I did, then switch your life from um, making money to helping use your money to serve others. Well said. Well said. There's a book that says something about that. Well, uh, one of the books that I read in 2004 is Halftime. Oh, okay. And written by Bob Buford, who was in Dallas. He passed away a few years ago. But I did fly up to Dallas and had lunch with him one day, and we visited because his book is what inspired me to give back That's when awesome. I read that book. And, uh, you know, it's a uh, – the problem that San Antonio has, and I'm a, I'm a supporter of UTSA. I'm on their campaign uh, committee. There's 45 of us on there. But you take UT and Texas A&M. They have hundreds, hundreds of millionaires and billionaires that are graduates. Mm-hmm. UTSA may have a handful or two. Yeah. And so that's what hurts. San Antonio, the same way, we don't have a lot of millionaires and billionaires living here. And so um, I'm not a billionaire, but I'm in the first category. There you go. But it's it does take, you know, the efforts of a community and that type of thing. And, you know, we're blessed in San Antonio to have organizations out there that, you know, work well together. And, you know, you were extolling the virtues of Chris at the United Way, who was my last guest before you, uh, and that type of thing. Um, but where do you think the biggest challenges facing philanthropy today are? Well, uh, let's go back to uh, the end of 22 
end of 21. The market was at an all-time high. Um, and let's go where the market is today. Uh, the market, all of nonprofits, foundations like mine, their assets are measured in the market, the stock market, mm-hmm. bond, stocks, bonds, and cash. And I, I've got a great financial manager. I've used Broadway Bank. They do an outstanding job for us. But um, from January 1st of last year through the end of November, my foundation is down $25 million. That's that's a lot of money. And my personal assets are down $46 million. Oh, my goodness. Now, upon my death, the foundation gets the bulk of my personal assets. Mm-hmm. So they'll get about another quarter of a billion dollars. Now, let me ask you, speaking of that, you're probably familiar with the giving pledge and that type of thing. Is that something that you support? Is that something that you've... Not really. I just... Just something I want to do. Understood. Understood. And and the city of San Antonio and surrounding counties benefit from it. Um, so as as you look at the future of philanthropy in San Antonio, um, we've talked about issues such as that you didn't know you'd have to get involved with, right? You, you started out saying, you know, wanted to do education, wanted to take care of kids and children. And, and food, and shelter, the, clothing, those types of things, right. medical treatment. But then homelessness has emerged as, you know. Developmental disabilities. Developmental disabilities, all of that. And and child abuse. Child care and child Mm -hmm. abuse have emerged. What do you anticipate? Do you think we'll get to a point where any of those problems will have been taken care of to the point where they're not as high up on your priority list? Not that they're not important, but because we've managed to get our arms around them? Let me give you a couple examples. Sure. Uh, When I was on the board of Haven for Hope, for five and a half years, I was vice chair and finance chair. We had about 700 people at Haven for Hope. I've been off that board now about five, four or five years. I'm on their advisory board. Now the number of people at Haven for Hope is 1,700. Mm. And it's because of the triangle that people have lost their jobs, lost their housing, lost their automobile, usually because of either substance abuse or mental health. They lost their family, and we got to try to get them back on their feet again. Um, I I just see a lot of differences. If we talk about uh, in March of 2020, when COVID hit, the food bank was feeding 60,000 families a week. They thought that was too much. At five per family, that's 300,000 people. When COVID hit, within three to four weeks, there were 120,000 families, 600,000 people, over a third of the population of San Antonio. Wow. And, of course, you know, we, uh, we made national news with some of that, some of those pictures of people lining up for, yeah. for and, that. You know, we have some problems here in San Antonio, but those some of those problems are 
are, are because of what happens in Austin and Washington, D.C., and I'll try to be kind <laughs> to the people that run Austin and the people that run the country. Right. No, and that's that's certainly uh, a situation where throughout philanthropy, and in fact, when you go back and look at, you know, philanthropy going back for a long time, it's exactly a situation where people are stepping in where other entities have not. Well, in the last 18 months, look what's happened to the price of fuel, the price of groceries, the price of rent, the price of utilities, and the price of education. They've all gone up. Sure. And most of these people that were struggling before just barely making ends meet they're really struggling today. Sure. No, the inflation has definitely – inflation is a very uh, corrosive tax that, uh, that impacts – I, I saw something in the uh, uh, Express News uh, a couple of weeks ago. In order to buy a home today, a starter home, you've got to be making $100,000 a year. If you're not making that kind of money with interest rates at 75 to 8% for a home mortgage – Credit card debt is off the ceiling. Um, it's yeah. tragic. No, it's the the rise in interest rates has really put uh, uh, a tax all of its own on spending, and we've seen that you know across the economy. Um, I wanted to ask you, Harvey, if if somebody's listening to this and they're saying, you know what, he's doing exactly what I'd like to do. Are, are people allowed to give money to your foundation? And then No, I don't take money from, from other people. But what I would suggest that they do, and mm-hmm. uh, there was, I was with a young man last Saturday. Uh, I bought a car from him. Nice young man. He's got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And we were talking while they were doing the maintenance on my car there. And he said, I'd like to get involved. And uh, so I told him, I said, there's three things you can do. You can give your time, your talents, or your treasures. And if you give your time and your talents, that's probably more effective than me giving and writing checks. So I am meeting with him um, next week, and we're going to sit down and try to find an organization because I think he'd be a good board member for a nonprofit. There you go. And he could help the nonprofit. And uh, so he could serve on a board or he could do service. For example, um, Rick Cavender, who runs Audi Dominion and I, Uh we have built 21 playgrounds together. We have four more to go. We get to 25. And uh, Rick has an organization in Rotary called Kingdom for Kids. So I pay for all of the materials that go into the playground. My foundation does, or I do it personally. And then we get volunteers from Rotary and City Year to work for two days to build the playground. That's beautiful. And then we've got a lot of kids that can go and enjoy themselves. Yeah, and, and one of my associates, Brisa Gonzalez, who's a member of that Rotary Club, has worked on, on those playgrounds as well. So. No, that's a, an awesome uh, program. Um, final question for you, or the final question I have, you're welcome to, to bring up anything you want, but I guess that's really my question. What, what do you want to talk about that we haven't mentioned? What's something that's on your mind that, you know, 
you, you really have a, a desire to make sure that uh, people hear about from you. Well, um, I think what people need to realize that are listening, that they're fortunate that they have the time to listen to this and the, the radio to listen to. Uh, there are so many people that don't have what we have. They don't have the very basics. Uh, we have so many people in this town don't even have internet. And when COVID hit and the, their kids couldn't participate in the schooling that was done remotely because they didn't have internet. Um, so if you find someone that needs some help, it's our obligation to try to go and help them. And I, you know, the, the market will come back. I don't know when. I, uh, my perception is, and you probably know more about this than, than I do because that's what you do for a living. But I think it'll, when the Fed starts lowering interest rates, then I think the market will come back and I think things will take place. Sure. So uh, there's a lot of things going on there, and uh, uh, that's that was a, a great tee up for me to go into a long issue on markets. But that's not the purpose of this podcast. So, Harvey, I really appreciate you being here with me today. Well, thank you. Can't can't thank you enough. Um, love to uh, get to continue to see all the good that's that's coming, and that's kind of our motto: do well so you can do good. Yeah, and, I. Uh, I was at a ribbon-cutting ceremony on Friday, and it was for Girls, Inc. And they found a facility that they wanted to have so they could grow. It's on Bassey Road inside 410. And so um, I bought the building for them, and uh, they had an architect. It was a church come in and change change it around for them. But their mission is to serve 6,000 girls next year and to make them strong, smart, and bold. The MC was a senior in high school. There was 200 people there. Nelson Wolf was there. The mayor was there. Uh, Justin Rodriguez was there. Several council people were there Friday. Uh, I spoke, and, you know, uh, the MC... This young lady, she's a senior in high school, has been going to Girls, Inc. for seven years. Seven years. She hopes to be accepted into Columbia. Wow. Columbia for her undergraduate. Very so good. I, she introduced me, and I went up to her afterwards, and I said, next summer, in between your senior year and freshman year of college, if you want a job, Come work for me at my foundation. That's you got awesome. a job. Well, that's a great story to close on. So I just want to thank everybody for listening. It's been an honor to get to speak with Harvey and hear his thoughts on some of these topics. Um, and this is Dan Redman for Philanthropy SA reminding you to do well so you can do good. Thank you for joining us at Philanthropy SA. We hope you found something to inspire you during today's conversation. If you know organizations and people who are making an impact in the community, we would love to hear about it. Until next time, do well so you can do good. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.